Father, we, we come before you, God, and we know that you have given us prayer as a means to communicate with you, God. We can talk to you, God. We don't need to bring our prayers to someone else for that person to bring it to you. There's only one mediator, and his name is Jesus. At the cross, he tore down a curtain that opened a pathway for us to have direct line of communication with the God of eternity. And so, Lord, with that privilege and that, that opportunity, we come to you, Lord, directly. We are coming to the God who said, let there be light, and there was light. We come to the God who can hold and withhold rain. We come to the God who can part a Red Sea. We come to the God who can talk, turn uh, water into wine. And God, we come to you praying that you would bring peace to this conflict there in Europe. God, we pray for an end to this war. We pray that lives would be preserved. God, we pray that the name of Jesus would shine throughout Ukraine and throughout Russia. And God, we pray that the believers would know how to be the church in the midst of some real difficult circumstances, God. God, bring an end to this war. God, would you protect people, Lord. Give our own government and other governments wisdom, Lord, to do the right thing, no matter what the cost. And God, even as we pray these things, we know that there are conflicts continually in South America and in Africa and other parts of Asia. God, we know that there are wicked governments globally. God, we know that there is injustice throughout the world. And God, our hearts just break at this. I know sometimes we can be so comfortable in our homes and, and we, we think about the worries that we have. And sometimes we just, maybe even I'm just embarrassed by it. We're, we're, we're worried about what kind of food to have for dinner, not whether or not we're going to have dinner. And God, the list goes on of things like that. And so God, forgive us when we are self-focused. Forgive us when we put our self-preservation above all things as the highest goal. And God, I pray that we would be willing, and not just willing, but that we would make ourselves uncomfortable for the sake of good, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus, for the sake of your will. So God, would you move our hearts, stir us, God, in all the right kind of ways. And I pray that we'd have the courage to say yes no matter what you tell us to do, Lord, and no matter what the cost would be like. And God, even as I say that, God, we get ready to dive into your word. And each time we stand up here and open your word and every time we hear from your word, God, there, there's an action attached to that. You don't want us to just coast, Lord. Our lives are not meant to be put on cruise control in the highways of life. But you have meant for us to be alert, to be very aware, and God, uh, to respond to you. So I pray that today, no matter what you would teach us through this word, through this message, that we would be courageous in our response and we do what you tell us to do, God. That we wouldn't, we wouldn't um, rationalize a different approach. That we wouldn't justify our disobedience. That we would not uh, make excuses for, for why we didn't do what you told us to do, Lord. But that we'd have courage. So help us, God, because we are so weak in our flesh. And I think of that father that says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. So, Lord, help us in our unbelief. We pray. Speak through me. Speak through Erica. God, give us all ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Holy Spirit, just make, make yourself very known here. We know you're here, but may we know that you are here, Lord. And may we just surrender ourselves truly. I pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Well, family, uh, man, I, I'm excited about what we are learning. Um, last week I had the, the pleasure and joy of being able to open the word with my wife, Erica, by my side. And I'm excited you're back with me, babe. Yeah. It's good. It's good to be together. 
I think um, last week it was, I think, super encouraging just to hear feedback. And so anytime you guys give feedback, it's really helpful. It's also just a reminder that, you know, something that's so specific as Song of Solomon, you're kind of like, man, God, would you use it to speak to all of us wherever we're at? And I, I believe that he did that last week, and I believe that he'll continue to do that. Yeah. So. Yeah, and with that being said, like, if you've got feedback, let us know. We want to hear it. We want to know how it's been helpful. Or if you heard something about something particular, like, hey, I would like to hear about this. And in fact, even as we have, we go through our next couple of weeks in this series, um, just drop us, some, drop us a text, send us an email of a question, and we'll see if we can get to it. We won't say, hey, so-and-so in the fifth row on the third seat asked this question today, you know. But like, just say, like, we'll just say, hey, this was a question that was raised that we want to try to address. And so, because um, we know that this is going to raise up questions in all of us, and we want to be as helpful as we can. That's why we chose to, to go through this message series in this book of the Bible called the Song of Solomon. And let's be honest, as we heard someone say recently, it's a weird book. <laughs> it's kind of a weird book of the Bible because the name of God is only mentioned one time, and that's in chapter 8, verse 4, I think it is. And we'll get there in our last message of this series. It's not very explicit about faith in Jesus. It's not very, like, direct about God and his power. But it's very indirect about all these things. And so, like, undoubtedly, it's going to raise up questions. So we want to hear those questions. And would you send them our way? You can email them to connect at thebrookshy.com. Um, that's, that email goes to our, our staff, and we will be able to just filter those out. And I know Erica and I would love to address whatever questions you have to the best of our ability. Something that we did mention last week was just that we were preaching a kind of tough book. But we also recognize that we shouldn't be ashamed to talk about what God was not ashamed to create. And, um, and so it's with that posture, but also that we want to do it with much care and um, intentionality. So yeah. And so it's almost springtime in Chicago. I know we are all eyeing the calendar. It's pretty much already April in our minds. We're just going to skip March, right? We're going to go right to there. And this is how we get every time when it comes late February, we're done with it, right? And uh, when springtime comes, that's when we say Chicagoans act a fool. It's 53 degrees. We got a shorts and cutoffs shorts. outside, right? And so when we think about the warm weather, we think about warm weather activities. And among those things, like things like Great America. Any Great America fans out there? Um, we, we are starting, I think we're, gonna, we're about to hit into a Great America season as a family. We tried that when the kids were younger, which was an epic fail. <laughs> I think we traumatized one of our children for years that they were just making it through. Like, you, you could do it. And, like, you know, we got to the top, top of the giant drop and see their faces like, oh, bad parent moment. Should not have done this. You know, uh, literally, that's a true story. But Great America, like, there's so many thrills about it. Um, among those thrills are roller coasters. We love roller coasters, many of us. And uh, I see some no, no, I don't love roller coasters. Let's talk about roller coasters. There are so many emotions attached to roller coasters, aren't there? Like when you're going up at the very beginning, you're kind of being patient, but you're like, you know it's going to drop. And there's this kind of nervous anticipation. And if you like that thrill of the drop, there's like, a, yeah, this is going to be exciting. But when you're in the middle of the drop, like I did the Goliath for the first time this past summer, if you've ever done that one, the drop is so steep, it almost curves back inward. And it was one of those things where I'm like, I... I don't know if I can handle it if it dropped anymore. And I don't know, just because I'm at my age, which I won't say what it is. But I felt like it affected me differently. So there's that, that terror that I was like, I didn't feel terror before. This used to be fun. Um, when, you're, when you're going to speed, there's that thrill, that exhilaration. Uh, sometimes it starts getting loop-de-looped. You start getting a little loop-de-loop. Like, okay, I, I think I'm about to lose something here. I'm getting nauseous. Um, you start thinking like in midway through, like, this was a bad idea. I shouldn't have done this. 
And then you come back into the station, you're like, that was cool. Let's do it again, right? <laughs> this, is, this is roller coasters, all right? And that's, that's actually relationships as well, all right? Um, see, the book of Song of Solomon we're about to talk about talks about relationships. It talks about romantic relationships. And in this Song of Solomon, we see that those kind of things we've experienced on roller coasters are true of life. You know, great America, sometimes you'll see couples, you know, they're, you're, you're, they're clearly booed up because they're, like, got matching T-shirts. They got spray-painted for great America, you know what I mean? The shoes match, right. They, they are there. And you're just like, oh, that's cute. And then sometimes, like, that's kind of gross, nauseous. Like, the theme park is pretty much how relationships can be. And what we want to do is we talk about this. Um, what we love is the fact that this book of the Bible is here, first of all, because it tells us that God cares about relationships. And that's significant because we here at the Brook worship a God who cares about your life. And no matter what season of your life you're in. And we know, and Erica and I were talking about this, like we know in our church family, in this room and online right now, there are dozens of different kinds of life experiences. We have some who are newly married or been married some time. You're experienced. We have some who are divorced or widowed or single, um, young single, older single, single parents. And we have, just, we have some youth who are here with us. We have so many different circumstances of folks in our church family. But one thing we love about God, as we say often, it is as relevant as tomorrow's newspaper and as reliable as the sunrise. And we know that in God's word, he has a word for each of us, no matter where in your life you're at today. And so maybe there'll be some really direct applications to you personally, or maybe there's instruction God's giving you because he wants you to be a voice in someone else's life. Y'all with me here? So no matter where you're at today, we pray that God has a word for you. Um, because that's, that's, ultimately, that's ultimately what we believe God wants to do through this. And I think the word that we're going to see today is that w there's some intentionality that needs to happen for relationships to, to flow well. And so romantic relationships, you know, even with the, the, the roller coaster illustration, you know, the, they can't sustain the, the best day ever feeling on their own. It's just not, it's just not possible. Because we are two, there's two imperfect people trying to live but with an imperfect love in an imperfect world. And so there's going to be times where that relationship feels smooth and you feel like, yeah, we're, we're doing well. We're on cloud nine. Times where you feel like it's stale, you know, like that bread that's been left out for a while. You're like, hmm, I don't know what to do with it. Like, <laughs> should I eat it? You know, like. It's like it's a crunchy, it's a rubbery, it's like, it's like this is nasty. You're just reevaluating. And sometimes that's it good. feels like it's lost its fizzle, you know, like the, the soda that's been left out for a little bit. And so I don't, th I think that the scri this scripture is going to help us remind us that re the reality is relationships need to be cultivated. And there needs to be intentionality in relationships. And we're going to see ways that this couple is intentional with one another and what that does to the, them as a couple. And it's going to be really, really neat. One thing that's really remarkable about the Song of Solomon is the detail that it gives us. It's poetic. And so there are times where we're, like, we're reading this, as we said last week. We're reading this, we're like, I don't know what this person means right here. Like, I, don't, I don't understand what this book is saying right here. And there's other times we're like, oh, this is very clear, the messaging. And the, the, the clear messaging is that there's a lot of intensity in this relationship, let's be honest. And um, over the next several weeks, you're going to be like, yo, this is, a, this is a lot of detail here. And in fact, it got to the point where even like in the early Jewish culture, when this book, when, when Song of Solomon was written and for the Jewish faith and in the early church, 
there, was a, there was a common way of interpreting the book of Song of Solomon, and it's something called allegorically. And basically, it's like, they were like, you know, this is, not a, this is not meant to be read as understood between a husband and a wife or a man and a woman. But this is more an image of Jesus and his love for the church. And so when we read this, we need to keep always applying, thinking about what does this mean the way Jesus loves his church. Jesus is the groom, the church being the bride. Um, but as you'll see here, we're like, no, that's not what's going on here. There, there's too many details that make it really clear that it's, there's, there's, a, there's a man and woman relationship going on here. And so then others have interpreted this as strictly that. This is just instruction on a way uh, that a man and a woman or a husband and wife are together in a relationship. And, yeah, that's true. But one thing what Erica and I are trying to do in, as we go through this message is we, we want to see kind of some of both of those things. We see this as primarily an instruction for relationships. But we can't overlook the fact that, man, like, you see something about God's love as we see this love. Like, think about it. The most... Let's say in love, couple in the world, whatever that means or even looks like. Like, are they going to outlove God? Are they going to get that love out of themselves because they learned it on their own? You see, even the most intensity of love is a reflection of the God who is love. And so anything we read here and every, any kind of beauty we see here is ultimately gets its root in the God who created it. And so even as we come to the end of this sermon later on, we're going to see like, man, this is a really beautiful image of how God can love his people. But at the end of the day, there is a relationship that's here clearly in the passage. Yes, and so last week, just kind of to remind us where we're at, we've seen this couple, right? And they're kind of, they're, they're a committed couple, and not just in a casual dating kind of relationship, but a place of commitment that says, I'm an intentional relationship that's aimed toward, toward marriage. It's, it's, we, we see, we're going to see them get married in the book later. They're, they're not married yet. We, don't, we kind of see. They get married next Sunday. <laughs> so we've seen this committed. They're, they're a couple that's committed. We've seen them talk about how they decided to make that commitment. She says, like, I saw things in you. You had a good name. And, and they affirm one another with, with words. They express affection for one another. We saw that last week. We're going to continue to see that today. And we're going to continue to see how the, the good name really does affect the way that they feel about one another. Um, and so we talked quite a bit about, that was our, our main point last week, was just having a good name means the world in a relationship. But by good name, we mean the reputation, what, what kind of person is the person that I'm with? What kind of reputation? Do they have a good name? And so we also seen them have passion toward one another. And so, but we also seen that that passion was uh, exemplified or uh, taught, expressed, but not acted upon. Uh, and then today we'll see that there's a time, um, passion and affection will come easy but also that we'll see that passion cannot be sustained at a level and needs to be cultivated and cared for. And that is a big part of a relationship that God has designed us to, to care for each other with cultivation. Yeah. So would you guys want to join us in the Song of Solomon? Yeah. All right. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Song of Solomon chapter 2. As you see my Bible, it's about halfway through the Bible right there, almost smack dab in the middle. Song of Solomon Chapter 2, um, Erica and I are going to read verses 1 to 17, although in this message we'll get to chapter 3, verse 5. Um, there'll be parts of this passage we're going to kind of go quickly over some details just because we want to get through it in a timely manner and focus in certain spots. But we want to invite you to join us in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1. Would you please stand to your feet? There is a Bible, a blue one in the chair in front of you. Please open your Bible there. 
Chapter 2, verse 1, it begins with the woman speaking, and then the husband responding, and then her speaking for a lot. And here's how it goes. Chapter 2, verse 1, I am a rose of Sharon, excuse me, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. Verse 7, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The voice, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of spring has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom, and they give forth fragrance. Arise, my my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. This is God's word. You may have a seat, fam. What does that mean? (laughs) <laughs> I did not understand the thing you just said, right? Uh, yeah, wild, wild. All right, so what we see here, as Erica mentioned um, in the beginning of this passage, is that for this couple in the Song of Solomon, they are in a season of their life. They're at springtime in their relationship where romance comes easy. Everything feels like it's blooming. It's a, a, a season of anticipation. Um, What we'll see here is that they use words to express their affection for one another. And what we'll see here as well is there is some instruction for us. So if you're single today, um, I hope that you find some instruction in terms of how to understand your emotions, how to understand desires, how to understand different um, anticipations from married to find instruction on how to cultivate and mimic even this kind of romance in your own relationship. Uh, we, We ultimately want to see us being able to say, okay, how is this? What is this saying for us? And so to start out in chapter 2, verse 1, the woman is speaking to her beloved. And again, it's not like they're, they're, they're hanging out like in the apartment. or anything. Like This is just them expressing poetically what's going on. And she says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Now what she's doing, she's saying, essentially she views herself as a lily in a valley, kind of like the picture on the screen here. Um, there are flowers in a valley there. And if you say, I'm going to point out one of those flowers, you notice they all look the same. You know, in, in, in a valley, these flowers are the same. Same thing with the rose of Sharon. Like, she's saying, I'm just one among many women out there. 
And so in some ways, there's a sense that we see here almost expressing yet again some of her insecurity. There's confidence there, no doubt, as we saw last week. But there's also a sense of like, hey, am I just an ordinary person to you, to her lover? She's saying these words. And then look how dude responds in verse 2. This guy's smooth. He says, as a lily among brambles or thorns, as a lily among thorns, so is my love among the young women. He's like, look, honey. You think that you are just like all the others. I need you to know when I see you, you're like a lily among thorns. All the rest of the women, they they don't catch my eyes. You are a lily. They are thorns. That's how I see you. That's pretty smooth, y'all. That's like, girl, all these other ladies walk in 2D, but when I see you, you're in 3D. (laughs) That works right. Come on. Give it a try. They are as VHS. But you're in Blu-ray, right? Be creative. We see this guy meeting her in this place, expressing this. You know, by the way, the Bible does have great pickup lines. I'm not going to lie, man. You know, like, hey, God was just showing off when he made you. That's a good one. Try that one. Also, yesterday I was reading the book of Numbers. I I realized I didn't have yours. There you go. Ladies, you can tell your man that you put the stud in Bible study. There we go. Or, hey, now I know why Solomon had 700 wives, because he never met you. You like that? You guys, don't encourage him with the laughter, because it would just keep going. I didn't know angels flew this low to the ground. Right? Or your name must be Faith, because you're the substance of things hoped for. That was actually good. That was a good one. Uh, So ultimately what we're seeing here is a couple, like, love is coming easy for them. Romance is there. They're like, they're so in love. They're they're just speaking their words. She's like, you know, I'm a little insecure. He's like, nah, girl, you got my eyes. She's like, really? All right. And then she starts responding to him. I mean, it's it's a really cool picture that we see going on here. Yeah, and I think it's interesting as well is that that's the only time he's actually speaking or she's actually. It amazes me how little the guy speaks in this book. (laughs) I mean, I just, it's just weird. I mean, well, he's, probably, he's got a verse in this whole chapter. So it's almost as if she's just picturing this, he, as if he is saying this to her. Um, she's picturing uh, what's happening next. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved a y- among the young men. I think she is saying that she is loving the presence of her beloved. And so just as he says, you're actually a lily among brambles, she says, you're an apple tree in the forest. It's like compliment for compliment. But it's interesting because there are, I don't think that there are apple trees in, the, in a forest, right? I, I don't think so. But I think she's basically saying, like, you stand out to me. Um, it's, it's actually, if you think there are no apple trees in the forest, so she's saying basically you're, you're, you're out of this world to me. Like, it's unbelievable the kind of man that you are to me. And then she says, with great delight, I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. She says, in your presence, I find security and peace. She says, with you, I feel secure. I can relax in the shade. Hmm. And if you notice, you remember from chapter one, she noted that her skin was sunburned. And now, because she was always in the sun, right? And she's like, don't don't look at me. I felt a little bit insecure about this aspect of my life. And now she's saying, but with you, I I actually find shade. 
with you as my beloved, I find rest with you. She feels safe with him. I mean, think about what it is to like rest in the shade. You're, you're, you're relaxed. You're, in, you're, you're enjoying the, the, the moment of feeling um, at ease, you know. She doesn't fear that he will take advantage of her or pressure her. Um, when she is with him, she's relaxed as when sitting in the shade. Um, and I think that that really ha happens as she re remembers the fact that he is a man with a good name. So why wouldn't it be easy for her to relax and be at peace and feel secure with him? And so, and I feel like it's also in contrast to what she had experienced before. If you remember, it was her brothers that um, told her, you go work out in the field. And she felt that that, that didn't feel safe and secure to her. And now here there's an extreme difference in how she feels around this man. And so... Um, when she, I think that there is something about a woman feeling um, just with his, with the, the words that he's just given her, he's told her that she's a lily among brambles, um, that he prefers her, that it helps her to sit at ease with him. Um, because you know what that does in a relationship for a woman? It makes her feel confident and secure, especially when she's kind of questioning her identity, when she's like, you know, I'm just... I'm just regular, kind of like, you know, everybody else. And, and he's like, yeah, that, that may be what you see, but I, I feel different toward you. And I, I appreciate this about you. And she, it makes her feel um, just safe with him. Mm. So good. And she goes on to talk about how she feels with him. In verse 4, she says, he brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. The banqueting house literally means the house of wine. It's a place of celebration. And, and she, she's there celebrating with him their relationship in, in, in this poetic language. And she says, his banner over me is love. Now, this is a language, again, we don't use very often. This word banner has the idea of in military times, in military battles, um, when the soldiers would be on the field, they would carry these flagpoles, and on the top of the the flagpole would be this flag that had instructions regarding what the next move of the military was supposed to be. And you might see that from different um, kind of these epic movies with these great battlefield scenes of like Braveheart or something like that, where they have these flags that signify for the archers or the cavalry. And these are ways that they communicated. And in fact, God is called Jehovah Nisi, God our, our banner, because when he is our banner, we feel protected by God. We feel that God has uh, very much very public in his protection over us. And here she's saying that his banner, her, her lover's banner over her is love. So like she's saying, on his banner is saying, essentially, I love you. It is clear in its directions. And she felt safe there with him. Like he's basically making it plain, hey, you are my girl. And it's a banner in a sense where like, and it's public. I think this is so remarkable because um, we, we should know that, you know, in dating relationships, there's, there should be a, a, a red flag when you feel that you need to make your relationship private. Mm. Uh, when you feel like you can't let other people know about it, because it says that there's something there that, that is, not, is not safe. Maybe it's a fear of what other my pe people might speak into it. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's, not, that's a red flag if yeah. you can't be accepting of other voices and what they might say. Well, does he really have a good name? And I don't want to hear that. <laughs> right, right. And, and like we said, you know, it's, it's so important to get the voice of counsel in our lives. 
and, and not fear those things. Now, of course, there's wisdom in how we go about our relationships, but it's, it's not wise to be isolated. And here she says his banner over her is love. There is a public affection. There is safety. There is security. There's something really beautiful going on here where this couple is together uh, in their dating relationship, and they're in a good, healthy place. So there, just Matthew Henry has this quote. I just want to read it for us because I think it's beautiful, kind of compliments this, this couple. The woman, this is a, a, a commentary on Genesis, right? It says, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. It's the words and the actions that a man can express. The fact that he cherishes this woman. And it can be felt by this woman in the way that he expresses it and also with his actions. That he sees her as, as equal. This can be intimidating. I think as, as I'll just speak as a, as, a, as a guy right now. Like we read this, we're like, dude, I'm, I'm not good with words like this. Um, I don't have poetry. Maybe you feel like I ha- I'm not, I don't feel like I'm a safe person. I'm indecisive. I got these struggles, yada, 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 and so forth. And these things could be very real. And this is where we, we want to put the emphasis on the power of God in our lives and say, God, I just need your help in my life to be a man of character, to be a brother with a good name to be a man who knows how to be a safe place for anybody, um, but especially if I'm in a relationship where, where there is protection and security. And as married men, the same thing. You know, we want to be the kind of men where our wives feel safe and secure with us, and we are so aware of our shortcomings. Uh, you know, and, and the beauty of this book, it's not there to shame us and how we all fall short. In many ways, this book is very idealistic because it doesn't acknowledge all the real struggles sometimes couples have. It will get to that in, in chapters, uh, I think, five and six. But, but at the end of the day, like, we just need God's help in all of our lives to be people, men and women of character. And that's what we see, I think, teased out here in, in application for us. That's good. So if she's going to go on to continue to talk about kind of this, the, these desires of hers. She says, we're in verse 5, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. So she's picturing being with him, maybe being outside together, maybe enjoying a picnic, you know, romantic. Uh, her words for I am sick with love for you, kind of like this idea of lovesick, right? She's saying, I feel like a sense of overcome with love for this man. She's like, I want to be with him. I think about him. I feel a little crazy. It's the butterflies, the anticipation. And maybe you feel like, oh, I, I felt that before. I remember that while dating. Or maybe you feel like, I, I actually, I'm there right now. It's much anticipation. And um, I, I, I remember that while dating many, many moons ago. <laughs> um, and it's actually a really precious phase in a relationship where you feel like this, this sense of like, just anticipation and butterflies and so, like, excited about what's to come, you know? But let me just give a word to, also to, to married, because I think it, we're tempted to think, as the world would tell you, when you don't feel those feelings anymore, you got to go. It's time to move on when you don't feel that anymore. Um, and here, here's the reality. Relationships ebb, ebb and flow, right? We're not always going to feel that sense of intensity, so what do you do when you don't feel that sense of intensity? 
Do you just say like, okay, I guess, you know, we hear it all the time. Like, I fell out of love with you. Mm. I can tell you, I don't feel butterflies anymore when we hold hands. Not like we did in high school. We've been together, we're almost married for 20 years. We dated for almost seven years before that. I don't feel that anymore. I feel so much more than just butterflies and, and anticipation in my stomach. It's so much deeper than that. But if I were to, to think that my relationship, the depth of our, of our relationship is based on just those exterior feelings, which are, they're cool. It's, it's a cool, you know, progression in a relationship. But that's not, that's not the end all be all. There's so much more. And I think it's so important even just to acknowledge that because that's not what our world tells us. It tells us that the moment you start feeling like, you know what, it's really hard being with you. You know, you're not as cute anymore when, you know, you're doing all that, you know, like, you're, we're selfish. Sometimes we struggle. And, and we can start thinking like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Um, just thinking about just divorce in general, right? Um, there are a lot of divorce studies, but the most common times for divorce are years one and two and years five through eight. Of those um, two high risks, the, the most common years of divorce are seven and eight. And it's interesting because they say the factors behind divorce vary um, during these high-risk years. They call them high-risk years. Maybe it's because you're like, you know, the, the honeymoon phase is over. It's like, are we, are we in this? It's not I'm going to fall in and out of love. It's like I'm, I'm committed to you. But it says um, this idea or the notion of a seven-year itch. It was popularized in 1955 movie with Marilyn Monroe. The idea is that men and women experience a declining interest in a monogamous relationship after seven years of marriage. And so it's crazy that this, that what is stereotyped in society and what society has told us, we begin to believe and live out. If we're not with intentionality saying, this is a committed relationship that I have. And, and I actually want to grow out of the butterflies and, and into something way deeper that goes way past that initial beautiful phase, but it's way past that. Um, to anticipate with joy the many gray hairs, the wrinkles, the knowing each other well, the, the, when you don't even have to say words in a moment, to, you don't even have to speak words when you can understand, and the security there is even more beautiful um, than the joy of newness. It's hard to understand that that, could be, that that could happen. I know I didn't understand that when I first got married, but I, I have experienced that and I have seen it, but it's been hard and we've had to work mm -hmm. and we've had to, to lay aside selfish things about both of us, but I can say it's, it's worth the, the fight in relationship. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, this is where this couple is at and she is sick with love, not sick of love, but she's sick with love in this moment. And then we see her go on a bit of, not of a tangent, but begins to really express what she's feeling here. Again, this is poetry, so let's remember what's going on here. But look what she says in verse 6. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I mean, here's the image. His left hand is under her, hand and under her head, and her, his right hand embraces her. She is, she is longing here for some uh, physical connection with this guy that she's definitely loving and in love with. 
And so she's expressing this longing. This is poetry, right? So it's, like I said, they're not here in this conversation, having this conversation in the apartment or whatever, because that's, that's fire, that's dangerous. But what she is doing is expressing this love. And as she's saying this, we see almost it come to a screeching halt in verse 7, where it says, I adjure you, or I, I warn you, I plead with you, O daughters of Jerusalem. We, don't, we think it's her speaking to these other women. By the gazelles or the does of the fields, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So, like, just as she's saying, like, man, I am so, like, sick with love for him. I'm just, I'm head over heels. You know, I desire his embrace. I adjure you, do not stir or awaken love until it pleases. And so let's unpack that briefly. She, she says, she says um, don't stir or awaken love until it's time. And so there, there are three things we got to ask here. What does it mean to stir love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Um, and then thirdly, what, when is until it pleases? All right? And I'm going to answer that backwards here. Because there are three times in the book of Song of Solomon that this kind of screeching halt takes place. Here in chapter 2, verse 7. Again in chapter 3, verse 5. Their wedding day takes place in chapter 3, verse 6 through chapter 5, verse 1. And then so, so we see this, this, this call to like, hey, don't awaken love until it pleases, happening before their wedding day. And then in chapter 4, I think it's verse 17, on their wedding day, we hear the word, hey, awaken. It's time. And so what seems to be the teaching here in Song of Solomon, but we see clearly throughout the Bible, is God said there's a time and place for that longing, for that embrace to actually happen. That, that's that intimacy between a, a man and a woman. And in the Song of Solomon, it's saying, that, that freedom and that blessing to, to act out on those desires takes place within the covenant security of marriage. That's, that's God's design. Because outside of marriage, there creates great dangers of, of expressing our intimacy. We can open ourselves for hurt because there isn't a commitment or covenant of being one flesh as husband and wife. And here she's saying, hey, don't awaken love until it pleases. And love here essentially is the, the uh, physical expression of their emotional longings. And saying, hey, there's a time for that. It's just not right now while dating. It's not while engagement. It's once you've made the marital covenant, the promise before God, which in our culture happens at the wedding day. Um, and that's when that's, when, that's when that's stated. And so it says, don't stir or awaken love until that time. Well, what does it mean then to stir or awaken love? It's like, well, what kind of things do we do or things that we think or places we go that can cause those affections to want to be realized in the now? And so whatever those things are, hey, scale back from that. Because the goal here is ultimately the word is integrity before God. It's saying, God, I love you because you've loved me so much. You sent Jesus to die for me. And I want to live out my life honoring you. And so much so, God, I want your best. And your word says that what you have for us is to enjoy this within the context of marriage. But ultimately, let me say this, fam. We'll get to this at the end of the message. This is not the pinnacle and climax of life. It's not marriage. Let me restate that. Marriage or the wedding day, but marriage specifically, is not the climax of life. The climax of life is a relationship with God. And that's ultimately what's being pressed on here. But we see this couple here being told to halt. Now, I know, like, as we talk about this, like, all kinds of things come to our own minds, our own experiences. 
maybe our shortcomings. And we've talked about this in the Bible, but I love how God's word says in the book of Joel chapter 2, verse 25, when God's people are disciplined for their rebellion and God sends locusts to eat up the fields and all their produce and they're like, God, we got nothing. And God gives them this promise. He says that I will restore what the locusts have eaten. God's saying, I can restore what, you, what the locusts have eaten. I can restore what's been lost. I can restore things that have been failed in the past. And that's a hope that God gives to every single one of us. No matter how much we may feel like we've messed up or we have not done what God has wanted us to do, God can restore you through Jesus and bring about a new beginning and a fresh hope. And we, we know that this is the teaching of the Bible, and that's what he, God is offering to us. And so even in this couple is told to halt, we realize like these, these emotions and desires are not abnormal. We just need to understand them in the right place. And God is so faithful because anything that he tells us to obey and sustain and abstain, or he, he's doing this for our good yeah. and for our joy because he has what's best for us in mind. And so I, we can know that if we are choosing to tr walk in integrity and as he reveals things to us and we say, okay, God, I want to obey you in this area, that we find greater joy in that obedience. We do. So now these next few verses, verses 8 through 13, through 14, through 14, um, we're going to see um, when we're going to just kind of continue to t see that this is kind of like springtime dating, right? She's kind of dreaming and envisioning him coming um, to her. She says she dreams about her beloved as she hears his voice. He's coming toward her, toward her with excitement. She pictures him as just really eager to see her. Um, he's searching for her. It says that he's looking through the window, and, and he's just trying to, he's, think what he's doing, and what she's saying that she loves that he does is that he pursues her. And in this dream, he speaks to her and tells her, and he reciprocates to her. And so that's, that he, he reciprocates to her that he wants, he wants to come away, her to come away with him. Um, he's just as eager for time with her. It's not something that she's pressuring him to have spend time with her. He is clear about his intentions with her. He's coming to, 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 to her with excitement, um, and he refers to her as my beautiful one. He makes her feel like there's, again, there's no, one, no other one but you. And so here she's, she's picturing him inviting her to come out and enjoy springtime together. She's daydream. She's dreaming of him saying these things to her. Um, and I think it's reminding us that women have a desire to feel pursued. That even her, that her husband would say, babe, let's, let's go out together. Let's enjoy nature together. Let's enjoy the beauty of spring together. It's important her, for her to feel like he wants to do this and pursue her in order to do it. He's not, he's not reluctant. He says, come away with me. And, and I think... Women desire to be pursued and won and wooed. And she's not twisting his arm to want to do this. Um, she, isn't, she isn't begging him to leave his Xbox. She isn't competing with, let me just finish this game. <laughs> she doesn't feel like an inconvenience. She doesn't have to wait till the game is over to get his attention. Um, she is, it's like, she's not, she doesn't have to feel like she's a last resort. Um, she feels and she desires to feel and he makes her to feel that she is desired and she is cherished. And that's something that women, that women want. And I think sometimes we forget, like it was easy to do it in the beginning and they're still in the beginning here, but this is something that we have to keep cultivating. And so just as I would say women desire to be pursued 
and men pursue, pursue her, help her to feel like, no, I, I want to be with you. Like, these things are fun, but I, I want you to know that I want to be with you. Also, let's be the type of women that are, like, easy to be with. <laughs> um, wanting to do things that are exciting, like being outside. I, I remember once we were, um, we were driving. I don't remember where we were. I think we were out of town. And I think you said, come on, let's, that's what it was. We were in um, Colorado. And he said, let's pull over and let's go hiking. And it was like drizzling. And I was like, no. Like I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I like I have to fix my hair again. It's just, that's a lot of work. And I felt like I was like, Erica, you're being real lame right now. Like, he wants a companion to, to enjoy, to go out and have fun. And I'm like, you know, it's just nice in, in the car right now. So I, I say I'm both ways. Like, the fact that he even said, like, come on, let's go for a walk. Like, all right, I'm going to meet him there, you know. Um, and so I was grateful for that. But and that just came to mind. I think the meeting each other, um, she desires to be pursued. And um, that's important to her. Yeah. Well, we see their, their, their relationship then in this springtime. It doesn't always stay that way, as we've said. It's, things are not always this smooth and this easy. So what we want to do here as we kind of come towards landing the plane here is talk about briefly four different things that, that this couple does and is told to do in order to cultivate um, their, their ongoing relationship. And in these four things, we're going to see that whether we're married or single, that there are points that we've got to, that we, that we can apply to our own lives because this, God's word is like that. It's, it's, it clearly connects with us. And the first thing is, um, it's not clear whether it's her speaking or she's quoting him in verse 15. But nonetheless, the point is this. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. It's springtime, which is cool, but when you're in springtime, you plant your garden. I know for us, we get rabbits in our backyard, and they start eating our tomatoes. And you're like, man, the springtime planting garden sounded fun until these little critters came along. And so, like, we, we think, you know, we, we have to realize, like, there are real things that come and confront um, any relationship. You know, you might have heard this report in Lake Tahoe. There is a 500-pound bear out on the loose. You guys hear about this thing? His name's Hank, and they call him Hank the Tank. And uh, he's been responsible for breaking into, like, over, I think, over 28 different homes, literally. Forces himself in, tears it apart, looking for food, and then leaves. And so people are like, yo, we got to get rid of Hank the Tank. But they started doing some, uh, you know, his fur gets left behind. They're doing some DNA studies and realizing it's not actually one bear. It's three different bears who are doing all these things. And when I think about it, like, yo, this thing's getting in the house, it's making a big mess, and people are like, this thing is the problem, when really it wasn't one problem, but it's actually three problems, but they thought it was one. And I think in relations, we look at all the potential problems in a relationship, like, hey, we got to avoid these big 500-pound bears. You know, we got to avoid the broken trust or the financial ruin or the explosive conflict because these things threaten a relationship. But here in the Song of Solomon, we see that it's not the, the big things, but it's the the little things that we have to deal with. It's the little things that can make a lot of messes. And they are the foxes. A fox, a little thing that can bring challenge in a relationship is your tone when you're upset. It's, it's making assumptions, not giving the benefit of the doubt. What did he mean when he sent this? Or what did he, it's making assumptions and, and just not seeing the positive in the other person. Yeah, it's nonverbal communication, the rolling the eyes, smacking the teeth, it's the, the turning around. Like, that's a little fox that can become a big bear. It's the selfish decisions. It's like seeing the dishes in the, in the sink and you're like, I'm not doing those. Well, who's going to do them? There's only two, you, two of you in the house. <laughs> that gets real old really quick. 
It could be a 50-50 mindset saying, you know, I'll put into this relationship while dating and half of what the energy and you put in half. And, you know, in marriage, like, it's, it's all in. Marriage is all in. And that little fox of like, yeah, I was going to give a little bit is like, okay, that's, that's not helpful. It's little fo- a little fox is a me versus us mindset. My money, my decisions, my plans, what I want. It's, I think even catching it in your mind, in our minds, when we start using um, pronouns that are not plural. That's a problem. Yeah, my money. Mm-hmm. That's a biggie. So we see them, this call to deal with the little things that make little messes that could turn into a lot of messes. All right? And even our personal lives as, as an individual, as a single person, as a, or as an as a individual person, you want to be the kind of person that deals with the little things that you're like, man, I know, I know this is something I do. I need to work on this. And that's, that's, a, that's a great word of encouragement there. Um, verse 16, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 16, we also see um, her say, my beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. Um, there is a life here that's being characterized by commitment. We, we, we need to cultivate that no matter where we're in life, just be kind of people who follow through on our word. And the same is true in relationships. So often, even in dating, some couples, the first sign of adversity want to piece out of it. Say, well, that, that's, that's not the kind of thing that needs to be cultivated. There are some adversities like, yeah, that's, this is a red flag. I got to go. Um, but there's other ones are like, learn to work through that. And in marriage, you've made a covenant. And this is where we need the counsel of people and godly voices in our lives to point us in the right directions. And so we see this life lived characterized by commitment in her saying, my beloved is mine and I am his. We also see a third thing that they do here uh, that's application for us is that that's to guard our heart from wandering into temptation. Guard our hearts. Again, that's a a practice for all of us because we all know what it's like to be tempted by something. Here she says in verse 17, until day breathes and shadows flee, turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or young stag on cleft mountains. Now, there's a whole lot of imagery here that there's different ways to parse this out. But there are parts of this Bible, of this story, where she likens her body to a mountain. And she's saying, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle on the mountains. And like, yo, you got to hold that up, right? Because actually in chapter 3, verse 1, She's now on her bed. She's dreaming about him. And in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3, we won't read it for the sake of time. She's in this dream trying to pursue him. She can't find him. She's lost. She finally finds him in this dream. And she wants to embrace him. And then in verse 5, we see that statement again. Hey, do not stir or awaken love until it pleases. Which is again, hey, guard your heart from wandering into temptation Pump the brakes. Say, God, I want to live with integrity before you. Help me know when to say, yo, I got, I got to pull up here. Right. Again, we need God's, recognizing that. We right. need counsel in our lives to help us recognize and the spirit of God to cultivate that within us. And so those are the first three things that we see happen. Um, each of these things have just one little shift that can make a big difference. So we, we actually wrote a spoken word that kind of encapsulates this idea of catching the little foxes, of being intentional about moving in, if one, one degree can cause a whole, a whole big shift in your relationship. And so, but also one degree toward, back toward one another could also be what, what sustains and, and draws that relationship together. 
And so we thought it would be good to share it because I feel like there's examples in here of what, what that could look like in a relationship. Sure thing. So here's that spoken word that Erica and I wrote. Um, so all it takes is one degree to cause a ship to drift and get lost at sea, you see? A little shift has a lot of ramifications. With a journey, it'll affect the final destination in the matrimony. Oneness is the aspiration to resist the slip that generates isolation. We've seen it erratic. We've seen it dynamic. But this much we know is that no marriage is static. What a big difference a little thing can make. When you take the intimate place you have in the life of your spouse and you house their every weakness in the memory bank of your mind, every time you'll find yourself farther apart. Not even remembering from where did it start. It's not dealing with the elephant in the room. The broom will make it better. But the next fight just becomes a double header. It's the harsh word without the acknowledgement of the hurt it created. It's feeling hated while in the same bed. Thoughts of rejection instead. One degree off course will eventually take you miles away. It's choosing not to stay and work it out. It's that bout of anger you won't repent of. It's that selfish choice. Not lowering your voice. Because you need to win. But, but in, in that, that moment, moment you, you begin, begin to drift. drift. Forgetting that this marriage is a gift. Your thoughts begin to shift. But the grass is never greener on the other side. Pride is that ugly mocker of oneness, a producer of numbness. These small actions accumulate over time, like saying, I'm fine, but storing up resentment. And that is just an affront to your contentment. It's years later, sitting across the table, unable to pinpoint how you got here. Yes, still near, but oh so far. It, it started, started with, with one degree, degree in, in the, the wrong direction. direction. And it begins to dry up your affection. Marriage is never going to be perfection. It's a toil in giving up of rights. It's resolving fights. It's being constant forgivers. It's setting aside things that you know are triggers. It's turning a confrontation into a conversation. It's when you get upset and instead unite as a team. One degree will take boiling anger and make it just letting off steam. As husband and wife, you're in this together. God's got your life, so just stop and remember. When you tie the knot, God tied three cords, hers, his, and the Lord's. Two lives to one flesh. Two lives in one home. Two lives in one name. Two lives in one poem. One story, one portrait painted by the divine before time began, skillfully planned, handcrafted. It's he who placed you right where you stand. You're not a bachelor, so pursue the degree. God's the master. He knows what you need. So be a couple. That's passionate, realistic, forgiving, tenacious, gentle, enduring, fierce, delicate, pursuing. See, one degree of humility offers you the ability to truly feel what each other feels. Breaking the silence of quiet meals. That one kind word spoken, that sweet token of reconciliation left on the table is you being able to move back toward oneness. It truly is your compass. With one degree, watch your marriage point to that great day. Well, we'll sup with Christ as bride by his blood paid. It's time to love with committed force. Chart a new course. Draw a line in the sand. Drive a stake in the ground. Make oneness the plan. So keep your compass around. You know, we wrote that the idea is those little foxes, those little things, the little decisions that can mess things up are also the little decisions that can put you back on the right course, no matter where you're at. Um, 
ultimately, we realize that our greatest point of need in life is to find our satisfaction in Jesus and our hope and strength in him. Uh, and that's the fourth thing we want you to come away with. Yeah, the fourth thing we want you to see in order to cultivate commitment is this. Look to Jesus as the only one who can satisfy your deepest longings. Because if we don't, whether we're in a relationship or not, we will not have those deepest longings satisfied. They're not satisfied in a marriage. They're not satisfied in a relationship. They're satisfied in Jesus. Now, I mentioned uh, this song of Solomon is oftentimes referred to the, the love that Jesus has for the church. I remember as a kid growing up at camp, we would sing a song that comes straight from so a Song of Solomon chapter 2. I'm not going to sing for y'all. <laughs> but I remember it would say that it's a, it's a worship song saying that he brought me into his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. And the next verse is, uh, I am his and he is mine. His banner over me is love. And uh, as I'm reading it, I'm like, that's not talking about Jesus right here. Hmm. But yet, what's so remarkable is that the longings of this text are the longings that you and I have in life as a whole that ultimately are most realized in Jesus. And so essentially, I think what God wants you to do is keep this intensity, just take out the romance. Yes. Keep the intensity. That's how Jesus loves you. In fact, when we see this, we realize that Jesus is always better. So when we long for security, I'm reminded of how Jesus tells us that our salvation is secure when he says, no one will snatch you out of my hand. Where we long for protection, I'm reminded how Jesus prayed for us saying, keep them from the evil one. Where we long for assurance, I'm reminded of how Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good courage because I have overcome the world. Where we desire affirmation about our worth, I'm reminded how Jesus tells us to consider how God takes care of the birds and asks, are you not more valuable than they? Where we long for commitment, I'm reminded of how Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Where we desire to be pursued and desire, where we delight to be pursued and desired, I'm reminded how Jesus came to earth pursuing us taking our sin and providing a way for us to have peace with God. Yeah. And so this points to Jesus in all things. No matter where you're at today, man, I hope God has brought you a word of encouragement, brought you a word of instruction. And ultimately, fam, we want to look to him, to Jesus Christ, as the one who brings, um, makes sense of life and gives us direction in all that we do, fam. So let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning, for this word, for this message you have brought to us from Song of Solomon. God, we pray, God, that we would look to you in all things, that you would encourage that brother, that sister, Lord, here today who is trying to parse out relationships, God, that you would bless them as they do so, that they would hold on to character and integrity and love you with their full life, God. Uh, God, we lift up that couple, Lord, who, who right now are just navigating, dating, navigating what this is like. I pray that they would hold on to you for that married couple. Lord, they would look to you and not let their, um, their love fade away, but look to Jesus as the one who brings significance. God, guide us, God. Guard us, God, in all things. Even when we feel like things are, are foregone in our lives, when we feel like our lives lack meaning, when we feel like we are in the graveyards of life, remind us, God, that you are a God who resurrects. And so no matter where we're at, meet us there, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise to our feet, church, as we song, uh, sing this closing song. Uh, do want to invite our prayer team to come forward. And please come pray with them for whatever burden you might have.